Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. This is Dr. Mark Shapiro. I'm really excited about my guest that I have with us today. Dr. Zubin Damania is joining me, and he is the uh, Director of Healthcare Development for Downtown Project Las Vegas. He also helps administer Turntable Health, which is a clinic that sort of this project is being built around. He has an alter ego, and the alter ego is all over YouTube, uh, making tracks through physicians, through hospitals, Outside of medicine, Z Dog MD, uh, some of the funniest, most germane, most topical, sometimes really painful because they're so true YouTube video clips uh, that he has put out there. Zubin, welcome to explore the space. West Side? <laughs> exactly. Um, or East Side, man. It, it's cool. East yeah. Side's cool too. I That's don't want right. to alien right. anyone. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. This is really interesting because. As physicians, we so often have to sublimate, and I think you've talked about this in some of your interviews, and I know you gave a TED Talk in 2014. We have to oftentimes sublimate ourselves to do our work. We have to internalize a lot of things so we can put forth a face that I think oftentimes we're trained to put forth. Maybe it's what we think is expected. You have broken out of that mold like a guy making a jailbreak. Uh, and now there's these two really amazing personalities that you confuse and really leverage. Let's just start with where did this sort of break and reformation kind of come from? Well, you know, I want, I want to start by saying I object to your use of the word jail in a, in, in a, in a <laughs> sentence with me because my parole officer is very touchy about everything I do. In I fact, cleared uh, this podcast with him. I checked it. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, he told me that because otherwise <laughs> my, my ankle bracelet would have started vibrating. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I mean, I think you put your finger on um, a, a, a lot of – in medicine, we have to wear this sort of mask, um, this mask of professionality that we, that we presume is what we're supposed to do. And and I, I, I wore it for many years, even though my innate personality is a little less masked than that. And so when I, when I created the Z-Dog MD character, he was almost like the id. He was like everything I was masking for all these years, and I could just kind of go and do it. And what I found is when patients uh, in the hospital, because you know I was a hospitalist at, at Stanford for 10 years. Hospital when, medicine, baby. It's where it's hey, at. Represent, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no responsibility. Just take care of them and and kick them out, so someone else can actually do the hard work. Which oh, is like shots fired. Okay, keeping them healthy. That's right. Uh, <laughs> hey, I, I I feel you. So so you know it, when the patients would find out, uh, you know that I had this alter ego because sometimes the nurses would tell them, like, "Oh, uh -huh. have you seen Doctor Doctor Demania's videos? He's this rapper." You know, um, it, I found that it actually suddenly these walls came down, and and I was able to connect, most of them really appreciated the fact that their physician was a human being who had a sort of a life outside of the hospital. And, and the fact that that was actually medically related to was really interesting. So I, I feel like we wear the mask almost, um, it's a defense uh, and, and a barrier. And, and sometimes letting it down a bit is not a bad idea. Now, Z-Dog MD is a little over the top. Like I Clearly, you're not going to walk into a patient's room and like you know throw gang signs and and fake gang signs because I don't know real gang signs because I'm actually you know <laughs> an off white kid from the suburbs. Um, it, 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 you know, it, you're not going to go that. But I think letting some of our personality through uh, is never a bad thing. Well, I want to I want to look at that a little bit because with that personality, 
you know, the first time I started watching your videos, and for those who are listening, if you haven't watched these videos, you absolutely have to. They are they are designed for anyone. Basically, if you have any sort of innate sense of humor, they're going to resonate, and they're on YouTube. Um, w- when you watch them, the first thing I thought of was this is like the most r- realistic medical show I've ever seen, which was Scrubs. It's satirical. It's over the top. But the vein of truth, you can't miss it. Was there, I mean, did you, we grew up around the same time. We watched probably a lot of the same shows. As you were training and then in practice and you're watching shows like Scrubs and you're seeing things that sort of resonate, was that part of maybe saying, I want to adopt this because A, it matches what I'm doing and B, it clearly works. You know, it's funny. So I, I, um, I mean, we definitely grew up with the same TV. Actually, I did a parody uh, of the Dukes of Hazard in medical school called the Docs of Hazard. <laughs> And, uh, awesome. and, and we did a whole thing, you know, with like, you know, our, our Dean's name was Haile DeBoss. So he was, you know, uh, DeBoss hog oh, and, uh, yeah, you know, you know, fighting the HMO. Yeah. I forget what the lyrics were, but it was, it was absurd. And we ended up launching a gurney off a like hill and played it in slow motion. You know, yeehaw! I'm not sure I'm even talking about this. Oh, you had asked me about scrubs and things like that. So yes. So, you know, it's funny. I would watch scrubs and I couldn't watch it because I was so angry that here was a group of people who were doing exactly what I felt like I was destined to do from the day I was born, which is make fun of medical stuff with a deep vein of truth. And they were doing it so well. I saw a couple episodes and I'm like, I can't watch this anymore. I'm just getting angry. And, and you know, cause at that point I was deep in my career, my training and, yeah. and uh, there was no thought that I could ever do anything like this. And then when, um, in 2010, you know, I realized YouTube was a thing and uh, I put my, um, I, I gave a graduation speech in 1999, uh, for UCSF, uh, because the class had voted like, okay, who's the, who is the medical student most likely to go off like a freaking dirty bomb, uh, <laughs> at, at, our, at our graduation. And they're like, oh, it's Zubin. So, you know, I was supposed to be the commencement speaker speaker by, you know, popular demand apparently. And they picked a second speaker too, that was much more serious and did a very, you know, uh, a great talk on, on, on healthcare reform, et cetera. But I, my role was to be that guy. So I, I recorded that and, uh, my friend, my friend recorded it with a handy cam and I ended up posting it on YouTube in like 2010 and it went kind of crazy. And I was like, wait a minute, like me, me being a total, you know, jackass, uh, and trying to point out in a very scrubs like way, like, okay, here, here's the truth of what medical school was like in a, in a funny way. Um, kind of went, you know, I wouldn't say it went viral, but it went, it went retroviral. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it was like, you know, you know, I mean, it was, it was, and I said, wow, what if I consciously tried to create content and put it on YouTube that did the same thing that resonated with providers, but also gave patients sort of a way to understand, you know, kind of look behind the veil a bit and maybe educated patients too, but also educated providers and provided this kind of satire. And that's how the whole thing launched. So it it was really the perfect storm of, uh, oh, there's this new social media thing called YouTube where you don't need talent. You you can actually get a lot of viewers just just, just being yourself. And uh, you don't need distribution. You don't need all of that. It just happens. So it, it really, Scrubs was kind of the the thing that made me angry that like, why am I not doing what I know I'm supposed to be doing, which is being a professional jackass um, <laughs> and, and leveraging all my medical training to do it. And so, you know, it, it was kind of an impetus in that way. It's funny because when you take that desire to be who you are while still practicing high quality medicine, you juxtapose that with the obvious demand for patients to want to know us as human beings, for us to know them as human beings, to work together in series, not work together in parallel. And then you give that, uh, you know, the economy of scale of the internet. And you've really been able to leverage this, right? I mean, this isn't just a cottage industry. This is something where now, obviously, you're in demand. But 
how far and how deep is the request for more content, more input, more revelation? How, how far is that going? Well, okay, first of all, I want to congratulate you on, on the use of a large word, juxtapose. Which, um, <laughs> while, while we were talking, I, I, I Googled that. Um, yeah, no, no, uh, all joking. <laughs> you just aside, made me I, break out in a cold sweat because here's my moment of vulnerability for the day when I was in elementary school. My nickname was the Human Dictionary. <laughs> it wasn't always meant as a compliment. I, I tried to convince myself it was, probably not so much, but go on. Thanks for bringing that up. You're welcome. I, I'll, pay, I'll pay half your therapy bill. How's that? That sounds um, good. You know, so it's funny, Mark, like when I was in school, I called you the human dictionary, but they, 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 um, I was such a nerd and I would say things in class that were so incredibly nerdy that uh, the jock next to me uh, turned to me one day and I just moved to the school. I'd come from some private school in New Jersey and I'd moved to the Central Valley of California where it was you know, this rural town called Clovis, you know, 20,000 people at the time. And he turns to me and he goes, where'd you learn that? Back at the Institute. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, wow, you know, this is, it's going to be years of, uh, uh, psychological counseling to get over the the trauma of being the, the most extreme nerd you can possibly be. So that all being said, you'd asked about <laughs> <laughs> you'd asked about the social media thing. So yeah, it's grown in a way that I never would have predicted. I, I didn't think it was going to get much traction. It was going to be a fun outlet for my burnout. Like, okay, here I am having a voice when I didn't have a voice. I just didn't realize that anyone would be listening to the voice. So it, 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 it now it's such that you know we've improved our production quality. I now have a team that works with me. You know, we did a, a readmission video recently. It got like 1.3 million views or something. And I get asked to speak all around the country. The not song just about, is still stuck in my head, by the way. You're welcome. Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, no, it, it, again, that takes medication to get it out of your head. It's, uh, <laughs> you need like benzos, like yeah. a drip. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, I mean, it's, it, the way that came about was funny too because I, I'd heard the song recently again and I was like, oh man, R. Kelly, it's too bad he's such a weirdo, but this song is like just off the charts awesome. And I was just thinking, well, what would I do with it? And the next thing I realized, oh, readmission, of course, because it's the remix to Ignition. We'll just combine the two. And the next thing I knew, I was obsessed for the next two weeks writing lyrics and then um, had my buddy Devin, who helps me produce the music, like help me sound good on the track. And we just shot the video in a morning at our local county hospital. Had a bunch of residents and interns who were, and it's great, like now that we have enough uh, sort of traction, if I put out an APB on Facebook for extras, man, people show up from all around. Wow. And uh, they're all legitimate medical types. And so we just shot the video. The next thing I know, I'm like, oh my God, this thing's like legitimately viral, which is a weird, like kind of adrenaline, you know, opiate direct, like, you know, nucleus accumbens kind of addictive thing where I'll train you juxtaposition for nucleus accumbens any day of the uh, week. We, we both, we both went there. We both trained at the Institute. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. You and I. So that's why we're hospitalists. That's right. You know, we're, we're, exactly. we're too nerdy to, to be urologists or, yeah. um, so, so, yeah, so yeah, so it, it kind of got a life of its own, and, and a lot of the videos are used in you know uh, uh, educational sort of contexts by various clinics and things like that. And I got, I just get, it's just been so gratifying to see the response because it makes me think we all can have a voice if we just go out and do it and use social media the best we can. If you had to just take a guess at where most of the viewership and interest is coming from. Is it from physicians who are kind of, Hey, nudge, nudge, let me send this to my friend. How real this is great. It's, or is it people who watch this and say, Oh, I get this is tongue in cheek, but wow, there's something that's being said here. That's important. Do you have a sense of which way the meter swings? You know, it's actually a mix. And my biggest sort of, for lack of a better term, fan base, uh, judging by Facebook, um, it, it, it are nurses. Uh-huh. Um, and they see the videos as here is a physician who's talking 
truthfully about what it's like to practice in our current healthcare system and you know the dynamic between doctor and nurse for example i, I did a, a video called i try which uh, i try parentheses to be a nurse a parody of a macy gray song you know and you know i try to suction tin and it chokes you know i mean the, it's like what happens when a doctor tries to do what a nurse does or yeah. a cna does and it's very hard and we don't empathize with the, our teammates enough and so so it's kind of a mix of people who are like you feel my pain. Okay. Here's a great satirical nerdy wonky way to talk about a topic like readmissions or immunizations or just, Hey man, it's funny. And my kid likes your stuff because you're juvenile, like the kid is. And you know, my kid loves to watch, you know, you act like a fool, uh, on YouTube and the songs are catchy and, and that's why we watch it. So it's a kind of a mix of all these things. And, and then there's the activist patient population. Uh-huh. So the, the really, um, <clears throat> involved patients who care about health, uh, they're involved and it depends on what the topic is, et cetera. And in fact, sort of aggressive conversation was started around a video we did called Blank Script, which was a parody of a Taylor Swift song called Blank, uh, Blank Space. And it's about narcotic abuse. And, you know, like you've got a blank script, baby, and I've got some pain. So it's about a, a patient who's manipulating to giving them narcotics. But it's told from two sides of this patient, you know, the, the side that's manipulating the doctor and then the side that's internal, that's suffering with addiction, that really never intended to go down this horrible downward spiral. And, and, um, and so a lot of patients struggling with addiction wrote in on the pro side of the video saying this very well encapsulates the kind of behavior that happens when we become addicts. And, and then a lot of patients with chronic disease wrote in saying you're, you're minimizing people with real pain and who have to struggle every day. And, and, and then a lot of patients and nurses wrote in on both sides saying, you know, we see this struggle is real, man, every day manipulating drug seekers. And then other people saying you don't, you really need to respect this idea that addiction is a disease and we need to have empathy and compassion, not, not judgment and, and, and parody of about it. So it, just to raise those kind of uh, sort of conversations to me was a sign that we did something right. Um, and, and it's always a fine line, like you're talking about professionalism and sort of what the mask we wear. But the truth is, I'm never going to drop this idea that I'm a physician first. And if, if I'm going to make a video and it's um, going to really blatantly offend a particular group of patients or a particular group of providers, then, then I've probably done something wrong um, because that's not that's never the intent. Uh, sure. the, yeah, the intent is to, do, to sh- balance balance satire and education together, sort of medjutainment approach. And the funny thing about for, it, for offending people then probably, yeah, no, go ahead. I was going to say the, 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 the thing about it from, from the physician side, for me, I, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. The first time I saw this, my first response, one of your videos, my first response was, Oh my God, he's going to get in trouble. Someone, <sighs> Ooh. you know what I mean? Because, and I had to sort of think about it. Like, why did I think that? He's not doing anything wrong. These are hilarious. They're really intelligent. It's brilliant satire. Why would I, as a physician, think that this other physician for being honest, being creative, is somehow g- going to get in trouble for that? Like, where did that kind of come oh, from? Oh, 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 you, because you're absolutely right. Because when, when I approached my sort of department uh, at the time, I was, look, I'm going to do these videos. Yeah. Uh, they were like, well, that's sort of career suicide. Like, why, <laughs> right. why would you do that? Like, right. you're going to, you know, what if the patients see that? What if the administrators see that? What if, you know, this and that sees that? And so they, they really had me worried that, that, that this was a horrible idea. I went ahead and against medical advice because I realized like, you know, I've just got to do it and see if I can walk that line. And, and you're right to have that knee-jerk response because I think we're so conditioned in medicine to behave a certain way, to fear sort of being creative and being ourselves, and also to fear kind of telling blatant truth without any veil to anybody other than providers. So sure, we would talk like that in the team room or we would talk like that yeah. in the call room. We would never consider publicly 
like that, even though they're all true. Um, and so, no, believe me. Uh, and, and, and I got, I've gotten heated, but you know, now I'm sort of liberated from that. But even, even now, like, you know, I, I, I'm the CEO and founder of a, of a primary care startup. Like I can't just go and be a complete clown. Like there has to be meaning and purpose behind it. Um, or else it hurt me, but I think appropriately because here's a guy who's trying to, you know, make healthcare better on the ground. And then he's being totally inappropriate and a complete jackass on, on video publicly that I don't think that's appropriate. So now that you have a different responsibility and you're not a devil may care hospitalist, you've got real responsibility, right? Do you, are you going to tinker with your approach a little bit? I mean, you clearly there's a very strong vein of iconoclasm here, which is important and great. Is it something that you're going to expand on? Is it something you maybe are going to want to temper? What are your thoughts as you, now that your career is evolving? You know, it, it, uh the way I think, I, I wouldn't do anything terrifically different. The one thing I might do is focus more on the Zubin Demania side of this personality and less on the Z Dog MD side and try to mix them and blend them a little better. So one idea we're we're exploring is <clears throat> we're going to do a um, a web based show called uh, Against Medical Advice. At least that's our working title. And the idea is it's like a John Stewart type of show with me as the host, where we have digital shorts and videos and sort of Z Dog makes appearances, but really it's more of a balanced thing that's funny and satirical. We have guests, we have contributors, we have writers. Um, but it, again, it evolves this sort of what's the purpose? Like John Stewart's purpose was to, to highlight BS wherever it can be found and point out hypocrisy and, and raise awareness of different news things through comedy. And we would do the same thing in the medical space. I mean, that would be a, a it's a lofty goal. And even you know, if you look at our last few videos, that there's, a, there's an intent and a polish that's very different than we used to have, where we really weigh, okay, what is the message, the fundamental message we're trying to get out? If it's, if it's a video like Ain't the Way to Die about end-of-life care, you know, that was our first serious video where it really wasn't meant to be funny. And, um, and, and we had a tremendous response, and, and it was encouraging that, again, having the credibility of being a doctor and, and having experience in the space helps you then to, to be able to convey a message. Whereas, you know, someone like a Dr. Oz, who has that credibility, has squandered it um, by doing what he does currently, which, which, which is, you know, pseudoscience at best. Um, and, and, and I won't get into all that, although I do have a rap video called Sucker MDs, which is a, <laughs> a, a diss rap of Dr. Oz. And again, I don't want to get anyone sued, but uh, it's funny, my mother, she's a psychiatrist, she's always telling me, you know, She's from India, like my dad, and you know, you know, could you please don't make fun of Dr. Raz, okay? Because you know, he's first of all, he's very handsome, and second of all, he's he will sue you, and you will be finished, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just stop talking about Dr. Oz. Thank you, and hopefully, then I can stop perspiring actively. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, uh, legal hyperhidrosis is a common phenomenon. (laughs) It's not going to be on the boards, right? Yeah. Oh, you know, I I wouldn't guarantee that. But uh, (laughs) malpractice avoidance hypohidrosis is a condition. There's an ICD-10 code for that. You know, it's like subsequent encounter, left-sided, with no complications. And we did not plan this in advance, but that is the perfect segue to talk a little bit about the next video that you're going to be releasing. I think by the time this podcast goes up, this video will be on iTunes or sorry, on YouTube. And it's built around this idea of, you know, you mentioned ICD 10 codes and this is for those who aren't familiar with it. This is basically the platform in which physicians, hospitals, providers document the care that they've been giving a patient and the way billing is done. It's rife with difficulty and it's, it's done through an electronic medical record. One of the biggest recurring themes in my podcast episodes thus far has been issues around medical records, electronic medical records, access, transparency. 
this video that you're going to release and hopefully people will go and watch it. Cause by the time this is out, like I said, it'll be on YouTube. It, it is, it is a straight right to the jaw of EMR technology. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because I saw, I saw, I heard Bob Walker on your, uh, um, on your podcast and I had emailed him early. I said, Hey, Bob, like father of hospital medicine guru of all gurus, uh, tell me your take on electronic health records because I'm going to do a parody about it. And he sent me the chapter from his digital doctor book. Yep. He's, he's super helpful. He's such a nice guy. And so he, he said, uh, oh, well, here's what I think. And uh, I actually parsed some of that into the song. And uh, most of it comes from my own experience working with electronic health records over the years and straddling the transition from paper to, 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 to plastic or actually, as I like to call it, from paper to freaking more paper. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? So, so, you know, it's all those pain points that we as clinicians have. And, and the thing is, okay, it's one thing to complain about it. We know that electronic health records are the future. No one's going back to paper, okay? It's just how do we make them better? How do we make them not suck? And so that's the nature of this video. It's, like, it's a call to action. Stand up. Let's, let's give these people feedback. Let's give government, let's give the vendors a sense that, look, this is about taking care of patients. Let's let doctors be doctors instead of, you know, scribes. I mean, in, in the legal world, you would never catch a lawyer being their own freaking court reporter and yet that's what we're asking physicians to do with these electronic health records you know when you have this you sort of have like we talked about this sort of dual personality this video to me while obviously a little tongue-in-cheek there's costumes and this and that it's a it, it, it is it's the most forthright in making its point it's the most it's the the most of a sort of a blunt instrument in saying, Hey, this is something that we really need to needs to be a little bit different. Um, and, and making a strong point, which side of, of you was, was this, which, or was it both? Was it Zubin? Was it Z dog MD? Uh, which was the one that sort of saying this video is going to be a lot louder than some of the videos that have come before. It, you, so, so I think you put your finger on this. This is that attempt to be a synthesis of the two. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's this rapping kind of jackass over the top hyperbolic character, Z Dog MD, thing. And then in the third verse of the song, he gets very serious all of a sudden. And, and it's funny because the original Jay Z song, that's what Jay Z does. In his third verse, he's suddenly talking about these women who lose themselves in the city of New York. And, you know, because it's a parody of Empire State of Mind by Jay Z. And so in the third verse, you know, Z Dog really gets more more Zubin and, and says, look, tech should bind us, connect, not blind us. So the reason why we care, patient's face reminds us. And, and, and the, this idea that the technology is there to glue us together, not to create obstructions. And it's not just a glorified billing platform, which is what it is now. It, it needs to be different. It needs to be narrative. It needs to, and, you know, I talk in the song about how our, our notes have gone from these beautiful bits of narration about our story to these bloated kind of ransom notes of cut and paste sort of chimeric disasters. So, you know, how, how do we, how do we make these records better? So that was, that was, that was the balance we were trying to go for. And I, I've actually performed it live maybe two or three times now around the country before we released it. Um, so I'd play the video in the background, take the vocal tracks out and then perform it live over it. So people could follow along with the lyrics and stuff. And the response I got was just ridiculous because I think people feel this, okay, this is, this is truth, but it's also a call to action to do something about it instead of just complaining, which we're very good at doing in medicine. I think when you do the remix to it, the part that you, I, I want you to include, I'm going to ask you to include is the part about the road that we're on with the notes that we write is that in the very near future, patient access to these notes is going to be very, very different than what it was in the past. And these notes will be something that we may work on together when we're seeing patients. It may, it may be something that they have their own access and can contribute to. Obviously, there's the open notes project. 
I think that you're on the right track to educating all parties with skin in the game that these aren't a trivial thing that we need to invest time, care, and attention and have the right tools to do it because everyone is going to be a part of that process. I, I mean, you're spot on. And in fact, at, at our clinic, uh, we already have a, a, a pseudo open mo- notes process. And this idea that non-clinicians, clinicians, patients can all write in the same note, even at the same time, um, is, is revolutionary. So, you know, I, in our, in our exam rooms, for example, every room has a monitor that we airplay up our EMR, uh, that's homegrown. And so patients can see what you're writing about them as you write. And you cannot write, you know, 23-year-old, you know, former, you know, current drug seeker here to manipulate me. You, you, have, <laughs> you have to have the, the dialogue, you know, and it's, it's very different. What sort of response are you getting when you do that, when you have that next level patient engagement to say, hey, let's do this note together um, and try and be unvarnished, try and be open? What, what happens in that exam room? Well, I mean, so much depends on the patient. Like uh, older school patients are are less amenable to that. They just yeah. want you to do the work. And but the younger ones, man, they're 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 ready to go. And providers, it's the same thing. Like you know, the older providers are very resistant to this idea, right? Of dropping the barriers and oh, patients are going to freak out. They need our, us to curate their experience. And yes, they do. They need us to develop deep relationships with them where they trust us to be the steward of of their care. But they also trust us enough. That we trust them to be able to take the data and and you know uh, understand it and own it and then be accountable for it and so all all these things can only happen in a situation where you have time to spend with patients focused on the human relationship because computers do a lot of the stuff we do better than we do it so what do we own we own that deep intense relationship that really provides so much of the healing that 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 you know everybody knows in practice that that that's you know seventy to eighty percent of it. Um, and so, so these sort of open note projects and the ways that EMRs and EHRs can evolve um, are, are going to support that. And either we can get behind that or we can continue to resist it. And I think agreement models have hindered us on every level because these, these platforms are just, are just billing apparatuses and they have to be structured a way to get the maximum reimbursement to the point where you're committing fraud. You know, 12-point review of systems except as, n- as noted above. Did you really do a freaking 12-point review of systems? Uh, you know, I clicked the box. Did I do it? Come on. And so these things, I mean, and we don't, we never talk about this stuff, but in a way it's, it's just disingenuous. It's not honest and it's not helpful to patient care. So we have to address it. So you have ZDog MD making the video, but then Zubin has started this clinic and it sounds like, I mean, it, it is an innovative clinic. It's a new model. Um, are the two leveraging and amplifying each other? I don't mean to harp on this, but you, th- there are these sort of two really unique roads that you're going on. And it seems like the two amplify one another that you, you have a lot of, you have a lot of loudspeakers. Um, Is that intentional or is that something that, Hey, this is just a great unintended consequence. Well, you know, it's hard. It's hard to describe intentionality because I think doing the Z Dog videos opened my mind to the possibility of taking a risk and doing something entrepreneurial. And honestly, yeah. the, the, our ideas are very much uh, uh, Iora Health's uh, hard work, and they, they're our partners, uh, Iora uh, Health out of out of Boston. And it was partnering with them, and they realized, well, okay, well, here we have a a mouthpiece in the form of this, you know, uh, a, a, a YouTube presence, and then also here's an innovative model that we could scale if we were able to bring it to the masses in a way that that that's that has a loud voice and so it was a, it was actually a perfect synergy that was not entirely intentional but actually would never have worked any other way so it it came together like that you mentioned this idea of taking risk i mean you just, as you say do you think that docs and sort of medical delivery are docs in particular are are 
are we risk averse or are we people who are ready to take a flip of the coin and see what happens? You know, um, <laughs> and the reason I that, say- let me ask you this, I'll, I'll, I'll front load. The reason I ask is you are asking people to make big paradigm shifts. I think that there's a lot of good points that you make, and I think a lot of people will gravitate, but when the rubber meets the road, it's a big challenge to step away from, as you talk about in your TED Talk, the house on the hill, the comfortable life, and take a big risk. Are physicians a category of people that are risk averse or are going to say, yep, we got to do it? I, you know, I think people, physicians in general, when they go into the practice, are not, when they go into training are not necessarily risk averse. Mm-hmm. The system of training that we have makes us risk averse. Yeah. It teaches you every step of the way, you know, just conform to these things, just, just play this game. And when you get out, then you'll be the attending and you'll be the boss, but you're not really the boss because the insurance companies and the government are telling you how to practice and administrators are telling you how to practice. The next thing you know, you're playing by these rules and, you know, 10 years have gone by and you're, and you're feeling empty and hollow and broken and you're going, what happened? And, uh, and I think that's a common experience in health. Not exclusive. And now I think millennials are coming out and they're doing really entrepreneurial and interesting things, mostly because they have no choice, because they're looking at our lives going, damn, I don't want to do that. And so, so it's very different now. I think um, as, as a group, you know, even my dad, who, you know, I talk about in my TED Talk a bit, and, you know, he's a private practice doc in the center of California, extremely risk averse. And, you know, he used to tell me, he's like, you know, you don't, don't take risk when you, you know, when you are going to do your thing, just play the game and one day you'll reach, you know, you'll get to the next level. And, and he used to tell me, you know, if you are actually the most risk averse and you take, you know, you kiss the right buttocks for all your career, you know, one day you will reach the apex of medicine, a hospital CEO. And I, and I, <laughs> I was like, you know, that's more true than, than you think. It's very true. So, so, you know, all this being said, I think we're conditioned to, to play this game. Now, I, coming to Vegas was one of those sort of calculated risks where it was a kind of a midlife crisis where I said, you know, I, if I continue what I'm doing, I'm going to burn it. And, you know, I'm taking it out on my family and I'm not present with my children. And it was just, you know, it's not good. And so for me, it was a survival thing. Like, and again, I may be a little bit weird in the sense that I had always had this vision of what my life was going to be and it wasn't happening. It was, it was, it was something I never thought would, would occur. And I was in this sort of stasis doing something that I was, it was burning out. And here's the thing that I, I didn't tell in the TED Talk that, that I think is important to, to point out. And that is that the first five or so years of my career as a hospitalist, I felt like I had the best job in the planet and that I was the, I was the most, I was the luckiest person in the world because I had a job. We were a partnership, um, a small group of people. We had no production requirements. We got to take care of patients with a decent amount of time. We were supported. Our colleagues, we knew all the primary care colleagues because we did a half day at clinical week and we treated it as a big family whose goal was to take care of these patients in a very high touch relationship. And we had mentorship teaching house staff. We had a whole team that supported us. And it was beautiful. Um, I thought I would do that till the day that I died and I would have. And then what happened was it started changing and it became, uh, you know, we became a corporation and there were production pressures and they took away the house staff with house staff rules on, on work hours. And it became like a regular sort of typical hospitalist gig that so many people are, are, are doing across the country. And I realized, oh my God, because I saw the contrast. Like, this is horrible. And then there was this EMR that just bogged us down, that slowed everything we did down, that that forced us to chart for three hours at home, even though we were off shift. And 
And that's when I, I started to really start to burn out. And mm-hmm. so it was clear that contrast, like there is a better way to do things. The thing is, the way that we were doing it wasn't financially sustainable. Well, why not? Why can't we make it financially sustainable? Change the way you pay for healthcare, pay to keep people healthy, get rid of fee for service, change the culture of how we care, it should be a, a team. Um, and we should value education and mentorship and collaboration. And so so I, I feel like there's hope because I've seen it work. Um, and so that, that colors a lot of what I do in what we're trying to do now. One of the things that I think is so exciting, and I'm sure you have a sense of this, is because the fact that you are as visible as any physician really out there who doesn't have their own television show, there is a lot at stake. People are watching very closely, I think, to see what happens with what you're doing, with the new model you're doing, understanding there's Dog, but there's also a very real and tangible desire to take a risk and try and change a practice model. Um, not to put more pressure on you than you need. The people are watching. There's a lot at stake here. If this goes well, then I think people say, you know, the risk, risk reward equation changes. Um, and I think it is, you couldn't have scripted it better. You went to Vegas to take the biggest risk of your life. Yeah, it's a kind of funny, isn't it? Um, <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't and, have scripted that better. And, and I'm not a gambler, which is interesting. And in fact, you know, you, you know, they have a saying like birds shouldn't poop in their own nest. So <laughs> I, I definitely don't, uh, I don't gamble. But this was a big risk. So well, here's the thing: like, honestly, there are doctors out there who are taking much, much bigger risks mm. and don't have, you know, uh, the fairy godmother support that I have in terms of, you know, Tony Shea, our big investor, who believes in sort of. He believes in people rather than so much ideas, and he realizes mm-hmm. that if you give people some latitude and some support, they'll do some good things. And, and so that was a tremendous gift. Not everybody has that, but the, but the proof of concept here is that models like this can work. In Vegas, it's actually a huge challenge. We're facing tremendous headwinds. Uh, it's very hard to um, get a critical volume of patients for a variety of reasons, and our biggest um, – our biggest uh, ally in this, the Nevada Health Co-op, an uh, insurance company not-for-profit started under ACA, just announced you know, that they're uh, going to go under at the end of the year because they can't, they can't function in a competitive environment with the big for-profit uh, uh, health plan. So even if this experiment in Vegas were to fail, our partners, Iora Health, have, have, have taken the model and they're running with it around the country in spaces as varied as Medicare Advantage, et cetera. So if it's a beacon for people to say this can work and we almost, you know— it, Vegas is one of the most challenging healthcare environments in the country. And if we can get traction there and prove the model, then you can do it anywhere. And this isn't the model necessarily that's for everybody, but it is a model, which means that if physicians and providers and clinicians up and do something, as opposed to letting administrators do it or MBAs do it by themselves, because they're going to screw it up, man. I'm telling you, I love my MBA buddies, but they are not physicians. They're not nurses. They're not nurse practitioners. They don't know what is involved in the physician-patient relationship, and, and, and we do. So we have to stand up and take responsibility for that and, and lead. As someone who is such an iconoclast, did you ever expect to become uh, a leader and uh, a light of, you know, maybe this is a different way to do things? It's, uh-huh. it's again, it's another interesting kind of dual personality, right? On the one hand, you've got Z Dog who is wanting to break things down and rightly so and make fun and crack jokes, but you're a thought leader now. Which is hilarious because I make fun of thought leaders in my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I think the but, idea, I think just the term thought leader 
Right, right. I, I can see you a, poking fun at it in your next video. For uh, sure. Oh, I'm a, I'm a thought follower by, <laughs> by far. I mean, I'll read anybody's book and immediately be convinced that that's the way to go for about you know about <laughs> right. a week, and then I'll read someone else's book and go, "Oh, you, that guy was totally wrong." Um, I should send you a T-shirt that says "Thought Leader" on it. Oh, I like that. I like that. I'm with I'm with a thought leader. Oh, and then the I, arrow in the arrow. Right. Oh, my my other it. my other car is a thought leader. Oh. <laughs> My other podcast is a thought leader. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I obviously I'm very uncomfortable with this whole idea of iconoclasm. Is that a word? It's like protoplasm. Actually, fourth, it doesn't. Fourth grade I, me thinks that it probably is. Yes, and I try yes. not to acknowledge that guy anymore. <laughs> you know, back, yeah, exactly. Back at the institute. Back uh, at the institute. We, <laughs> <laughs> we thought an iconoclast was a type of white blood cell that you know, attacks. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I think it's it's kind of been unwitting, and 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 the thing is, it's just. You kind of do you kind of do what you you feel like you're meant to do. Yeah. Well, one of the one, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just agreeing with you. I right, think. right. You kind of like your podcast, a great example. Like you're a creative guy who had this experience in sort of sports journalism, and now you're doing this amazing thing. And and despite having me on, you've had some amazing guests. And and so <laughs> it's that kind of thing where if physicians stood up with their creativity and did what they're passionate about, then they'd all be iconoclasts in their mm-hmm. own way, own space. And you know, one of the weird things that happened when I moved to Vegas, like I had to let go of a lot of uh, interesting personal baggage. But so you know, all my life I've been a type A neurotic, you know, OCD. I've been a doctor, basically. I was just right? about to say you've been a doctor. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and and good. better yet, a hospitalist and internist. So, oh, that shot's fired, but okay. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. But uh, uh, so when I came to Vegas, it's weird. When you move to the desert, um, weird things happen to people. So you know, this sort of expanse where you confront. Uh, this this stark, beautiful landscape that's empty, and you have to look inwards and go, "What? Well, who am I really? Like, what? What? What am I? What? What's going on?" And so, weird things started happening. I started, I, you know, I'm a lifelong uh, skeptic, scientist, atheist, etc. You know, Sam Harris, uh, who's a neuroscientist and a big skeptic, is one of my biggest uh, sort of idols personally. And yet, I started, I started meditating and exploring sort of what's the nature of the self? Is it an illusion, consciousness? And and through that sort of exploration, I realized, okay, listen, we're here for a short time. We need to, uh, we need to, um, we need to express life in the present moment and we need to try to make the world a better place than it was when we left. And our ego is a bit of an illusion. And if we're living to serve it, we're going to fail and be unhappy forever because there's never enough. You never have enough. You're never successful enough. You never have a big enough house or a big enough retirement or enough in your career. And the minute you realize that that's an illusion, then you can really be yourself. And 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 so as hippie and weird and new agey as that sounds, like that was the experience I had coming to coming to Vegas. And it kind of allowed me then to, I would have you know, never had a chance or been able or had the courage to do. So th- that, that was my story. And I want to pair that with what myself, uh, what I've sort of dealt with is this idea of being out of the comfort zone, um, which is why I decided, hey, let's start a podcast. It, it's so important in life to kind of get out of the comfort zone. One of the things I think for docs to think about trying to be better at that comfort zone when we're just just at the ground level talking with a patient is to share just a little bit more of ourselves. Nothing bad's going to happen. They're not going to get mad at you. Uh, part of it is, I think, it's it, there's there's so much to it, but there's there's fear of rejection, fear of not being liked, fear of that sort of loss of authority. I think all of those things fit together. But like you say, it's just that idea of moving in a different direction. I think at, at the ground level, that central dogma, we can just change it in such small moves but it can be really hard to do. Oh, I mean, you 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 pretty much nailed it. I mean, I, I think this idea of vulnerability is an idea that uh, our egos are extremely well defended. Um, they they 
if we talk about the ego as just kind of an entity, this sort of entity, this third party entity, this idea that we're this bundle of, of we're a self, a skin encapsulated self that is just thoughts and emotions and fears and dreams and all that. When you start identifying with that, you defend it. The ego defends itself against any perceived threat. And so the idea of being vulnerable, and in medicine, this is a classic, right? We don't want our patients to see us as weak. We don't want our colleagues to see us as, you know, not stepping up. We, we, and so to show vulnerability is a no-no. And yet, in any situation where you are open and vulnerable and you're actually less defended, you find that the results are fantastically more positive than anything the opposite could have accomplished. And that's something I found here by just admitting, okay, these are my weaknesses. Like I'm really bad at these things and I'm scared about this or you know, this, I'm just really uncomfortable doing this. It, suddenly you let go of that fear and you're able to accomplish so much more. And people, I think, respond. They respond empathically. They respond in a way that actually implies a strength rather than a weakness. And, and, you know, there have been whole sort of talks on this kind of subject of vulnerability, but I think, it, again, it springs from this idea that you don't exclusively identify with your ego and your sort of awareness that in which things arise and you accept the present moment, including your weaknesses. And, and again, at the, at the danger of this devolving into <laughs> mumbo-jumbo, which it will. Um, oh, it, it can't go much further because, uh, you know, this is getting way too cerebral for me. <laughs> exactly, right? I mean, back at the Institute, we used to talk about <laughs> You talk uh, about this institute, like, don't give it away. They're going to know. I don't want them to know. It's like an X-Men kind of thing. Like, <laughs> that's right. That's right. I, I shaved my head to look more like Xavier, you know, the, it was the, like the one G. of those The G.I. Joe headquarters was underground, and I don't think anyone ever knew where it was, right? You know, uh, knowing is half the battle. And, uh, uh, yes, that's right. I went there. Uh, and you uh, it's funny, like, I look at Destro, one of the characters on G.I. Joe, and I just think, now here's a guy, okay, he was a pretty tough guy. He had a chrome head. Like, what was the pathology there? Like, how did that even happen? Was he a cyborg? Like, what was the nature of that? Now, I'll sit up at night sort of pondering these things. And, and then someone will say, well, where'd you learn that back at the Institute? Because that is extremely nerdy to do. But Zubin, more importantly, is what is the ICD-10 code for oh. chrome headed? <laughs> and is it left-sided, right-sided? Is it acute or is it chronic? Yeah, subsequent episode. Subsequent uh, yeah. episode. Destrotitis. Uh, yeah. If episode. Zartan changes color, is that normal? Is it? Yeah, we could. Uh, that actually you, would you, be a funny book. Would be GI Joe as ICD-10 code. You to- like a DSM five for GI Joe character. <laughs> exactly. There was actually. It just came out. There was a rank list of GI Joes in order. They unfortunately did not include Cobra. What? But the G.I. Joe characters were ranked in order. I agreed with it for the most part. Snake Eyes was number one, which I thought was a little lazy. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> that, 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 okay, that this exists is a sign that the internet is the greatest thing. And that, that we're has on a, the right track, absolutely. We're on the right track. Evolution is going in the right direction. I think that what you've done here is, is, is really, there's a, a, there's a vein of genius in it. And I want you to take that compliment. Looking back through history, the court jester is always one of the most powerful people. It's easy to make fun. It's easy to marginalize, but they're always there. And they end up, if not having the ear of the most powerful, they become the most powerful. It's existed in mythology for forever. What you've done in positioning yourself in a couple of different ways and then moving forward in a time when people are asking for change, they don't necessarily know how to ask. They maybe don't know what change they want to see, but they know that things are cooking. They know that there's a brew out there what you're doing is really exciting, and I want you to keep doing it. Um, and let's see where it goes. A couple things. Number one, your five bucks is in the mail because you made <laughs> you just made my skin encapsulated ego feel really, really awesome. Uh, <laughs> but 
I want to say my goal, okay, if, if that's true, I'm going to use this for evil purposes. And okay. my ultimate goal, if Bob Walker is the father of hospital medicine, my goal is to be the mother of hospital medicine. <laughs> Good. You, think, can I, you think I can pull that off? Yes, absolutely. I, I would not put anything past you. So let's do it. I agree. I'm in. I'm in. I, as long as you know, there's no graft versus, graft versus host from uh, uh, transplanted ovaries, uh, every, everything should be all right. <laughs> very good. By very the way, I'm just, just a quick thought. Like, like just on stool transplants, yeah. like, wouldn't you worry about the graft versus host? <laughs> like, it just sounds, it sounds awful, right? I mean, you don't it, – it, oh. if, <laughs> if nothing else, it's a 15-minute stand-up routine any day of the week. Any day of the week. Yeah. Fly in with a with – a, with a blue little bag to get the stool off the street, put it in a, a bag of ice, and, and helicopter it back in for the emergency transplant. It is it is there waiting to be capitalized on. Yep. This has been so much fun. The new video is on YouTube. Go to YouTube, search for ZDogMD. The new video on the EHR is there. Please take a listen to it. Zubin, this was a real treat. Thank you so much for coming on Explore the Space. Hey, honor's mine, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com, and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.